Welcome to Thrivecast. Um, as as always, we're talking to leaders in in the space of implementing product led growth, and we have one such leader, David. Uh, I met David, you know, at one of the open uh, open coffees in Seattle. He's been holding it for quite some time. Uh, you know, today's topic of challenges and experiences in implementing self serve at OpenSea. Uh, am I saying it right? Open THC. How do I say it? Open THC. Yeah. Uh, so David's going to talk uh, a lot more about the motivations uh, of OpenTHC. Why did he build self-serve uh, and the pains and gains that he has associated to the self-serve motion. So David, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, OpenTHC, let's see, I think uh, we started in 2014. It's like the 12th company, I think, that I've started. Uh, some have received outside funding. Uh, OpenTHC is all self-funded. Uh, we started when the cannabis industry in Washington was just getting started, and and in fact, we initially started as as just you know a private, closed source, for profit company. But in looking in the space, right as we were getting started, you know there was there was two competing vendors to get government contracts for the regulatory system. And then in each of the states that was starting, other vendors would show up and nobody had any ways to like talk to each other except through these government systems. And that's exactly the kind of thing where the engineer mind says, there needs to be a protocol to talk between this system and this system and then all of these other systems. You know, and when we started, there was maybe seven or eight software vendors in the regulated cannabis space. And now there's 150. And, you know, despite our best efforts, let's do a protocol wow. tie together. You know, the that's not a thing. An open protocol for exchanging data is not really the kind of thing that uh, a lot of closed source for-profit businesses really want to chase down. So it's been a bit of an uphill battle. But, you know, eight years later, seven years later, we're still grinding, right? We're still out here doing this. We respond to state RFIs. We respond to state RFPs, pushing them, pushing the industry towards a distributed, federated type of mechanism. We don't, you know, protocols over programs. We, we would like to see the industry turn into something that, that facilitates that. That allows more participation from smaller players, you know, that otherwise things get centralized in the software space, but then they also get centralized in terms of the producer space, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, so I think, you know, uh, David, maybe we, it, we met at the at the Open Coffee. You've been hosting uh, the Open Coffee in Seattle. I think, was it, uh, you know, was it more of a physical event before, and then you turned that into an, an online uh, event? Uh, is that what, how it happened? Oh, uh, well, I didn't start it. Uh, it was originally started by uh, Andy Sack, who is uh, a name in, in Seattle. He's been around for a very long time. Uh, and, and he started it in 2007. I think he had recently sold a company and was interested in doing some more angel slash venture deals. And oh, and it was hosted uh, at, a, at a nice restaurant on Eastlake, at Louisa's on Eastlake. And... Uh, you know, entrepreneurs would show up there and chat with each other, but also get some feedback on their process from Andy. 
Uh, Andy attracted other investors to show up at that one. Uh, and that's how John Seacrest came into the fold with Open Coffee. Ah, okay. And so he's sort of, John Seacrest is sort of in the big chair with Open Coffee. Uh, and Andy has stepped on to, to, to moved on to do other things. And so John uses the Open Coffee as a mechanism to drive both entrepreneur and investor traffic into the Seattle Angel Conference. Um, I've been an entrepreneur participating in Open Coffee since maybe 2007, 2008, I guess. Um, and I've used it to meet people to help them start their businesses. My previous company, I met my co-founder there, um, and we went through the Seattle Angel Conference and got some funding, and that company's doing well. I met the, uh, another fellow there who helped me start. Uh, our earlier name was Weed Tracker, but now it's OpenTHC, um, who helped uh, get this business started. So, you know, I feel like I owe a lot to the Open Coffee ecosystem, right? It's helped me. It's helped me raise money. It's helped me make money. It's helped me meet a bunch of quality people. And so I, I continue to show up there because I also have a, a little bit of a passion for advising the early stage business to do customer interviews and, and to do this customer development before you do product development, right? We, we preach a lot of the lean startup ideology there. Of course you do. You know, I can, I've seen the passion, the way that you've been conducting on that call as well. Uh, so, uh, David, for the audience who doesn't know what is OpenTHC, could you give a quick introduction of, uh, you know, what is OpenTHC, uh, what's the market that it's going after, uh, and then, you know, and the motivations behind, you know, your motivations, I think you touched upon that on the regulated industry versus being it open, uh, but how did you go about, you know, thinking about it? Uh, maybe a little bit about OpenTHC. Uh, sure. O OpenTHC is a, a suite of software for the regulated cannabis space. So that's adult use recreational cannabis, and that's medical cannabis in various jurisdictions. You know, so USA, each of the states does something different. But then outside of USA, Canada's got a set of rules. South Africa's got a set of rules. New Zealand's got a set of rules. Germany's going to have some rules pretty soon. Uh, Mexico, Panama, etc., and and all of those places have the same base set of requirements uh, for the farmer, for the processor, for the retailer. You have to track all of your material very, very diligently, more diligently than you have to have track any other agricultural product. Uh, they're tagging every tree with some identifier. They're tracking, you know, tracking every inventory lot. Um, and in, in the existing space, in the existing agriculture space or ERP or farm management platforms, they're built around a crop, multiple trees at a time, multiple plants at a time or a whole field. And they're built around product-based inventory. And for the tightly regulated cannabis, it's built, all the inventory tracking is built around specific lots. And in fact, some of the legislation is written about from a lot-based inventory tracking rather than a product-level thing, right? You know, the product is a T-shirt, but every manufacturer has lots, and, well, now it's codified into law that you must treat your materials this way and do very specific things for things like quality assurance, testing of the product, packaging of the product, what prices are allowed for the product, uh, what what amount of a, a dosage of, of cannabis of THC or, or something can be in a product, all very tightly regulated in regulation. 
So that creates the paperwork burden for the farmer, for the processor, for the manufacturer, and for the retailer. They all need crop planning. They need ERP-like solutions in the farm. They need ERP-like solutions in the processor. They need a point of sale at the retail layer. They all have to report their data back to a central government agency. And there's other license types involved as well. Waste disposal, licensed and regulated. Transportation, licensed and regulated. Laboratories, licensed, regulated. Plug your data in and ship your data between all of these entities. And that's where OpenTHC comes in. We, we work with the farmer, we work with the processor, we work with the retailer, we work with the laboratory. Transportation logistics has a, a pretty minimal um, touch on what they have to do for the regulated side, so we don't really do too much with them. But we make our software in GPL license, free, open source, uh, for folks that you know want to be able to, you know, control their destiny a little more. Um, one of the things I say is that, uh, you know, in a modern society, everything's got software and it. it does not matter what you're doing. Software is everywhere. And, you know, uh, some people subscribe to the idea that the workers of the world should unite and seize the means of production. Well, software today is one of the means of production and you can, you know, you can enable people to have better control of their own destiny if they can have some control over their software versus, you know, the closed source commercial solutions we work against are, well, I mean, we've all worked with expensive closed source software. It costs a lot of money. You find an issue, you want to improve the system, you call their support line, they tell you they appreciate that feedback and we'll have our engineers look at it. And then three years later, the bug is still there or the feature hasn't been fixed, but you know, other things have changed. Maybe the company has sold to a new owner or they've done a new UI rewrite or something, but it's not improving in a meaningful way for the user. And open source is supposed to be able to deliver that. We can see that it's delivered that in a lot of spaces and we are intending to deliver that here for the you know, still very new regulated cannabis industry. I mean, the, the industry is almost 10 years old, but, you know, 10 years is a fairly young industry. It, it is, yeah. I think nicely said, uh, David, you, you mentioned control your destiny through software. Uh, and if it's open, you know, it's easier to control uh, and easier to manage. I think that that's a great analogy. Uh, could you help me understand if, if uh, you know, the way that you probably thought about OpenTHC is, you know, if I build an open source software, which uh, brings the entire supply chain of the cannabis industry, the farmers, the manufacturers, the distributors, to maybe even potentially the buyers, uh, your software is the one, is the glue, if you will, you know, to connect all these dots and enable, you know, uh, enable the motions from one to the other. So essentially it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a connector hub, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a large sense. Um, why did you build, uh, you know, sure enough, we can understand, you know, that you could have built a simple app, right? You could have built, you know, you could have built an app which has all these as sources. You could have charged individual, you know, farmers specific fees, subscription fees, but yet you went ahead with, you know, building lots and lots of APIs, lots and lots of tools, uh, you know, and so in this case, let me ask this question to you. Who is the primary consumers of OpenTLC? 
Are these the people who are developers on the other end who are trying to build uh, the connectors or you help them? And who's your audience? Uh, well, so OpenTHC originally started as a, as a closed sourced, private, closed source, for-profit entity weed tracker. Um, and I, it was about a year into that where we just noticed that there's these two large competitors for state contracts and there's going to be dozens of smaller software competitors like OpenTHC was at the time trying to work with those government agencies and that government software, but also work with each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been an enthusiast for open source things since I left Microsoft in the year 2000 and have seen where businesses are able to take open solutions and form them to what they really, really need the business to do, right? You can buy an off-the-shelf solution and it has a process to do your regulatory obligation and it's 18 clicks and you type something in. Well, if your business is doing it the same way every single time, an open source solution would allow if you had sufficient training with software, you can go into the software, you can tune it up, or you can use APIs into that software so that your staff has to do only two things. And now when, the, when you remove those 16 tedious steps from the process, you reduce errors and you can improve, you know, you can improve the, the, the team's performance. They're not stuck doing this. The training is easier. Loads of things become easier when you have some software that's pretty much customized to your business. We didn't really intend for OpenTHC to do that. We started it with, this should just be a protocol so all of our software can talk to each other. Mm -hmm. But again, we are trying to promote a protocol for interoperability with other vendors in the space who compete with us uh, for a, a software solution. And you know, like I said, that's an uphill battle and so then OpenTHC, which at the time was Weed Tracker and closed source, only had this API and a specification and some data models. We just started opening up the rest of the software. Here's the laboratory data portal. Here's the point of sale. Here's the stuff that you need on the supply side. So farmers and processors are, are on the supply side, a, a same bucket, I guess, for how you would cut your customer groups into. Mm -hmm. And that is... That's where we started in the industry in 2014, and that's still our primary customer. Um, OpenTHC makes money from folks who see the open source software and subscribe to that ethos, but they, you know, not everybody's a software developer. Not everybody's ready to run a little hosted piece of software somewhere on the cloud, and that's how we, you know, get the revenues to sustain the open source software development is through basically like a SaaS like solution folks mm -hmm. like will you put it in your managed cloud for us will you you know regulatory systems are also fairly complicated so can we call you for support when we want something can we call you if we would like a little piece of the software customized can you tune this up for us we don't have somebody on our staff to do it could you do that for us you know that's how we do that and as OpenTHC has grown you know, the customer base has shifted slightly. Um, there's a significant number of people who enter the cannabis space who are already technically minded. And that group of people, they find the open source aspect of it, 
the more compelling part. They can get the code, they can spin up some Docker containers and run it on their own infrastructure. And then if they want to tune it up, they can do that. And if they need some assistance, you know, we have our organization knows how to do it. But, you know, sort of in reality, it is not a very complicated piece of software under the hood. So it's fairly easy to get someone with a little bit of experience to go in there and, you know, tune up some of the pages and things like that. But most of the most of the traction that we have is from folks who are interested in the, you know, the psychology or something. What's, I don't know the right word, but the philosophy is the right word. Thank you. Thanks, brain. Right? The philosophy of open source, giving the business owner more control of what they can do with their business by having software that can even offer that flexibility, right? You're not going to be able to customize any closed source solution, you know, um, and with open source, that's possible. And there's a lot of folks in the cannabis space for sure who enter the space because they love they love the philosophy that cannabis has. You know, cannabis is to free your mind, man. Cannabis is one of those things that works directly against the system. You know, the, the that's just a philosophy of a lot of cannabis users, right? They're, maybe they're punks, maybe they're hippies, but they're definitely interested in making their own choices. And, yeah. and so those people find us or are, are sent to us by their technical friends who say, here's an open one. Oh, and, and then we can just have a SaaS platform. A SaaS-like yeah. platform, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's distinctly not retail software because we're a support solution, you know, more than a, more than a packaged retail software-like solution. If you want to make a standard uh, if you, if you want to make your protocol a standard protocol, you open source it. I think there are a lot of, lot of examples like RPC, HTML, SAML. Uh, I think, you know, you, you are on the, onto the right track, David. So David, I noticed that on your website, you know, you, you know, you built your product, not just only with open source, anyone who's coming to your website to do a free sign up and essentially tie your product, uh, you know, we would typically call it as the first step or the foundational step of product-led growth, which is enabling your product so that your users can come in, you know, sign up to your product, you know, get the value from it as fast as possible. Uh, why did you build self-service for your product? Uh, you could have just open sourced it with GitHub tools, but you went ahead and, you know, not just did that, you know, you also made it as a self-serve. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> The initial stuff when on the when when the product existed as weed tracker and was closed source right the only way to get in was through a sign up process and uh now that there is more open source there's demo access you could run docker on your own and then a lot of folks afterwards say well how do i get you know how can i just have you solve the problem for me in exchange for money and some people many people actually would like to get a little more experience with the real tangible product with the least effort on their part as possible. And so that sign up process is, you know, 
if we were less regulated, the sign-up process could be drop in your email and you can then enter a, a stood-up environment. Mm -hmm. With the regulated environment, it's a little more annoying, but there's, there's a, a considerable portion of the population doesn't want to evaluate with Docker. Uh, the farmer who has been recommended to use OpenTHC by his technical mm -hmm. friend, they're not going to really figure out Docker. Uh, or, you know, running, cloning some repos and editing config files and then, you know, starting up the web server. That's not, you know, takes a little bit of training to do that. So they'll show up and say, oh, well, I just want to sign up and get started. My friend told me I should use this. That's what everybody else we compete with. 150 other software people that we compete with, their website has a little sign up button. Everybody has the sign up button. It's almost if you don't have the sign up button, it looks like you're not ready to do business. And so we, you know, as the, the original form that we had written in 2014 to sign up, which was significantly simpler, you know, has now moved forward and forward and forward to 2023 with sign up, give us your email, verify your email, got to verify their phone number because we need to have these phone numbers recommended, you know, LinkedIn to the, the profile. So when they call in for help, we know who they are, which companies they're authorized to talk to. And now we have to collect a whole bunch of company detail and a whole bunch of license detail. And then we have a manual process to verify that information, you know, with the regulatory agencies. And then we can do, you know, so that sign up button is not as fast as it would be if you're signing up for a service like, uh, you know, Dropbox, for example, right? Dropbox, type in your email, press the sign up button, drag and drop some files into a folder. Well, unfortunately, we can't go that fast. We have a, a little bit more of a tedious process, but it's, it's there for... You know, it's there for the average farmer. It's there for the average processor to be able to get that process started. So I think it's a, you know, I think you said it rightly. It's the sign up button is, uh, you know, uh, helps your end customers to understand that you're open for business, but you also personalize it, right? You, you, you said that you onboard them, you collect a whole bunch of uh, things from them, phone number verification, LinkedIn and all of that. Uh, did you build it yourself or did you happen to take any open source libraries out there to, you know, how did you go about building? What's the technology behind this also? Uh, that the sign up form is, it's a fairly bog standard, you know, okay. PHP web app, you know, type in some stuff on a form. Um, there's, I mean, the libraries that exist could be, you know, the view rendering is something like a Twig toolkit or a Slim as an app container in the PHP space um, to build pretty lightweight apps. So that self-serve signup is, is pretty lightweight piece to just collect a bunch of data, shoves that into a fairly large, you know, data blob in our system. And now we have our internal tools you know, that are not really part of the open source space where we look at that information, support team will send them an email to verify, are you really trying to do this? We have your license number, you know, and, and do that process. Um, you know, it, it, I guess we continue to build it ourselves because we sort of picked that road in 2014 and then moving forward, it was, 
it was always an easier step to just iterate on what we had existing by a little bit, by a little bit, by a little bit. And, you know, next thing you know, it's 10 years later and you still have that stuff running and you look at it and go, oh, wow, look at that. I mean, it's not 10 years old now, right? Things get updated, but you know that we picked that road 10 years ago ish and it, and it sort of has, has stayed there till today. Um, you know, I mean, you, you'd mentioned sign up is there for letting people know that you're open for business. I mean, our button is green. The button is green, not just because loads of people use green as their accent color in the cannabis space. It's green because green means go, go here, click mm -hmm. the button, start the process. Let's go down that road of, of, of going through an actual, a fairly tedious signup process. You know, some other folks that we compete with who are, you know, strictly commercial, their signup process, they have that sign up, same signup button on their site. And it, it also walks you through four or five tedious forms. You know, I don't think anybody's doing ID verification quite yet on the signup, but, you know, we do need to collect the, the, you know, your business is given different identifiers by the federal government or by a state government. We need to know those because that's a requirement in the regulatory space. And then there's a regulatory agency that has license details that you may get. We need to get those details. And so you have to verify the address. So in those, I mean, in that sense, you know, we also integrate with tools like OpenStreetMaps to make sure that the address looks okay. Mm -hmm. um, we you know, we used to use Twilio for telephone number verification, but Twilio has become in increasingly hostile towards cannabis. So even using their service for something as benign as, you know, texting somebody a six digit code so you can verify they've entered their phone number correctly is, is frowned upon at this point, um, rather unfortunate. Um, we are we are looking for a new SMS solution. <laughs> yeah, so I think you know. Yeah, I think you mentioned a couple of things. Let me kind of you know get that in my head. So using the color green, you know, which is the color of the industry, you know, that's a great psychological, you know, um, uh, analogies that you have drawn there. Uh, you're also making sure that all the federal regulations are met. Right uh, through the self-serve onboarding process, you're not just verifying them; you're also collecting specific information. You know, uh, not just through automated ways. I'm guessing you probably call them up. You know, you verify them a little more. Yeah, that's uh, right. right? Um, so this it looks like it's a lot of involved process. You know, around it. Do you also do any kind of enrichment? Meaning, and I see on your website that. You click on a button, you're able to sign in with uh, your Google login or a Gmail or something of that sort. So uh, is it mostly on a, like a B2C kind of an authentication that you have? Let's say if it's a large farmer and he has a lot of employees, uh, they all would need a Google login to come in, right? Is that, uh, and that's I'm guessing that's, that's, that's what you built for. Yeah, the, the farmer is who's responsible <laughs> It gets even more complicated. The farmer or the business owner, whoever is that initial sign up, you know, they basically start out as an administrative role on the account, mm -hmm. you know, the, the root user, the God mode user on that account. Mm -hmm. And then they're able to invite other participants in. 
Uh, so, you know, you hire some employee and you want them to be able to sign into your company profile and do things. Uh, you create the, that operator creates a new customer, a, a new user account. And uh, the industry is fairly small. So farm A, farm B, farm C, it could be that all three of those farms are our client and that there's one person who works at all three farms independently. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the person who's in the role of a master grower is one of those things that yeah, the advisors, are. Yeah. some advisors, some people are just managers, they're safety managers who are really more of a consultant, but they need to sign into the system. They need to look at the information. They need to check some boxes on the workflows, things like this. So when those people are invited in from from the business operator invites them and they're still flowing through the signup process that we had from, you know, the complete stranger. Uh, but they get to skip that company and that license aspect because they're being invited in from somebody else's. We still want to verify their phone number. We still send out the little email. That you can receive our email, you know, click the link. Uh, we still do that process. And if they're associated with one or more, farms, you know, after they sign in, it says, like, please review which farms you're, or which companies you're associated with, make sure that's still accurate. When somebody is invited in, you know, if, if somebody is invited to join farm B after they were already an employee at farm A, you know, farm A doesn't know that that has occurred, but that, but that individual can see from their profile, would be able to see those other farms. You know, not all at the same time, right? You have to switch company profiles, but, you know, so they go through a, a slightly easier onboarding process than the original operator who signs up. And then typically, you know, once their profile is added into the system, you know, we start them off and they're tagged with this person hasn't received training, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, that's tagged on the user profile. That user profile is sort of shared between the different companies that they have access to. So if somebody is signing up and it's the fourth farm that they've joined, we know that they've been through training before. We know their phone number is already good. We know their email is good. We get to skip those steps. But if, if they're new, they get flagged with hasn't received training uh, and a couple of other, you know, things things that we keep track of internally. Have we talked to them on the phone more than a few times? Has each of the, you know, have they had a chance to talk to our engineering staff? Have they had a chance to talk to our support staff? You know, to make sure, you know, we're, we're one of the smallest vendors of software in the cannabis space. And, you know, I, th I think our clients like that and our, and our team definitely likes that, you know, we still have, you know, it's still possible to to reach out to our organization and call in and talk to one of the engineers who's working on the software. Mm -hmm. Well, who's working on free software using the client's money, and then the client calls in and says, "Hey, I'm having a problem." And they, oh, well, maybe it's a bug. Customers never know how to file a good bug, but when you talk to one of the engineers on the phone, they can work out a really good reproduction steps for the bug, and and get through that, or or even talk with the client through what would an improved design of that workflow look like? So, yeah, but we need to keep track of who's, who's called in for what, right? I think that's a, that's more in a post it's in a, after the signer yeah. process, but 
the sign up process, I think, is also not something that just happens in one day. It's something that happens over a little bit of time. The sign up process is from when you first get someone's email all the way until you get money from them. And so that mm -hmm. means if you have a 15 day trial, if you have a 30 day trial, your sign up process is not click, 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 and they're signed up. The sign up process is 30 days, right? So you would also, you know, we measure how many people sign up. And, you know, there's a, there's a significant number of people who sign up and actually never subsequently sign in. And before we had scaled back our sign up process, one of the mistakes we had made earlier was to try to make it very, very easy for people to onboard. And we were not verifying company information as diligently, and we were not verifying license information as diligently. Our objective was get them into the platform and we can just clean that stuff up later. Well, then we found out that, I don't know, a lot of people will just sign up for something and then never do anything with it, you know? And, and the architecture of our system, every company that's signing up is isolated from every other company that's signing up. They've got their own little snapshot of code they've got their own little snapshot of the database in case we have to customize for that person right in case we're actually trying to deliver the part where the open source value is there like <laughs> so you end up having a whole bunch of little multi you know where i think they call it a multi-instance architecture it, rather than multi-tenant and in that multi-instance architecture you know when you have 600 people who sign up and then don't do anything well, you know, they've created a 30 megabyte database and they've, you know, checked out some code that has its bits and gets built another, you know, well, except for the node modules, you know, that's a couple hundred megs or something, but it, it checks out a, a bit of code to run their, you know, you know, to run their pieces of it. And so that was one of the things we had to do on our signup was scale that back so that we didn't spend so much time looking at, oh, well, this month we had two signups every day. And out of all 60 of those signups, one of them was legit. And the rest of them were tire kickers or um, at one point, somebody in a, in a agriculture course at a school mentioned us and a whole bunch of students from that class signed up. <laughs> you know, we're like, why are we getting all of these .edu email addresses signing up all of a sudden? It was just it was just mentioned in a in a in a course somehow, and you know we're not, you know I I'm not mentioning any school's name because we're not officially there and the school wasn't officially recommending a, you know it just showed up as somebody's notes in a lecture or something and you know why are we having all of this happen and now we have you know sixty bogus signups that we end up cleaning up after a period of time, right? Because like I say, you can't just, oh, this one looks bogus, let's clean it up. We gotta wait the 15 or 30 days to see are they gonna sign in again? You know, and after the sign up process, you know, you you um there's a marketing word for it that escapes me right now, but you know what I mean. You send somebody an email three days later after the sign up and maybe you follow like some Fibonacci sequence for when you trickle them email. Hey, yeah. remember you signed up for OpenTHC? Maybe you should sign back in and complete your license detail. 
Maybe you should sign three days after, sign back in and add some crops. Sign back in, add some inventory. Have you seen this feature that the application has? Go here and look at it. You know, and you do that for that. I mean, everything you or I sign up for anytime. Yeah, I'll you know, teach. Yeah. I signed up for a new bank, right? A bank is very boring. And then they're sending me like an email every other day for the next 45 days. And they're all coming from like a unique one. You're like, oh, unsubscribe. They say, oh, well, you've unsubscribed from our marketing mailing list. And then two days later, you get another message. You're like, oh, you've unsubscribed from our features announcement mailing list. And, you know, <laughs> we try not to do, we try not to be too heavy handed with that. But, you know, that's another aspect of the sign up process that, that exists that you, you know, you trickle that information to, to the prospect at that point until they've completed the cycle, whether that's 15 or 30 or, you know, um, some of the folks that we compete with, you know, specifically in the cannabis space, will give a prospect 90 days to get comfortable on their platform before their billing cycle. So they have a, they have a sign up process that's takes a whole quarter. Uh, this is amazing, David. I'm I, while you were talking, right? I was trying to make some notes, uh, and this is what I observed. You know, you're probably, you know, your self-service uh, aspect, which includes both the acquisition of the users, the virality of the users, as well as the activation. As you mentioned, it takes about you know 15 days, 30 days time, whatever the free trial is. You know, typically we would call it as an activation phase. You have actually figured out, even though you may not necessarily call it exactly as that, as what the you know, the marketing industry is now starting to call it. Uh, but, you know, here's an amazing thing. I'm just taking down the notes, right? You have an invitation model wherein uh, somebody who signs up can invite their peers, you know, within the farm or the or the dis distributor or the suppliers there. You have a disambiguation model, which means that if a person is working at two different companies, right, you are able to go prompt them saying, hey, you, you are now signed up to two different companies. Which one do you want to operate? Right, so you typically would call it as a tenant disambiguation or a company disambiguation. So you have that built in. You have white glove support as part of your uh, as part of your sign up. You know, meaning somebody you know gets on to you know uh, signs up for the first time or, or registers. Uh, you know, you actually track their progress. What are they actually using it? Uh, are they you know uh, are they faltering? You know, their way they're not. Are they setting up their product right or not? So you are able to go reach out to them saying that, hey, have you tried this? Have you tried that? You know, during the period of the free trial. Uh, you also have a free trial, right? And I like to talk to you about, about that, maybe the next question. Uh, you know, but you, you are able to also, after the free trial, you're able to go and say, hey, you know what? Let me go understand their usage and are they real users or they unnecessarily hogging my, you know, my multi, uh, multi-instance or multi-tenancy, right? So you're able to go understand the usage, clean up, right? So uh, you're following the tenant life cycle so that, you know, you don't unnecessarily end up paying bills, you know, to AWS or Azure or wherever you're hosting. This is really beautiful, uh, David. I think you covered the entire life cycle, uh, you know, of, of the- On purpose. You know, we we got to that point by making a lot of mistakes. So, yeah, and that's that's always the right thing, you know, as you keep on faltering, you can keep on fixing it. Let me ask you maybe two questions and we'll run out of time very quickly. The first question is about free trials. Uh, you know, do you automatically allow 
you know your users to pay without talking to you or is your payment system different than your free trial meaning meaning at the end of the trial if somebody wants to go pay you know can they just come to your website or they have to talk to you uh they can they can complete that process like it's not fully in the app right the the because the app is the open source code base, after the sign up process starts a timer, um, it used to be a 30 day. Uh, we just moved it down to 15 because it takes, if somebody's not making the choice in, a, in that time, they probably won't be making the choice. Or if they're in the 15 day window and they're using the software, but they need something or they notice a problem, right? One of the things that happens when new users show up is they find bugs that you're you could have hundreds of users that don't see that bug anymore. Fresh eyeballs find new bugs. Yeah. And so a lot of times someone will sign up and in that 15 day window and they'll say, hey, I noticed this thing is a little uncomfortable. I think you guys should build it. You should change it so it works this way. And like, oh yeah, that that aspect of our program has been that way for two or three years, possibly longer. And we should make that improvement. And we can then, we just manually extend that. Thanks for your feedback. We like this, you know, um, we had, we had a new sign up in a, in a region where we had not operated before. So there was some new technical learnings for us mm -hmm. and we were able to move their, you know, uh, um, free trial date out further and further, but in, in places where we, you know, work and, and have a better, existing reputation it's it is possible to sign up and at the end of the 15 day window you see that the thing there has a little prompt and then you know click the button it takes you over to the billing page which is outside of the app right because the app's the open source code the billing stuff is not is not code that's part of the open source code and they press some buttons there and then that you know manipulates our multi-tenant database infrastructure and make sure that that profile is active and stays active because again otherwise you know a couple hundred signups and uh you know a couple hundred signups couple hundred megabytes for each sign up you know when they're just in the empty state right that's just to check out all the code and the dependencies and the database and this all of that stuff is going to add up after yeah, you know just sitting there doing nothing well, a little bit of CPU cycle for doing idle and, you know, a little bit of storage, but, you know, I mean, over yeah. the, over the lifetime of the app, over the lifetime of the business, you know, there's been like 3000 something signups. If we had kept all of those around doing nothing, I'm sure our, our cloud infrastructure bill would be much higher than it is when, you know, we're able to pull that down to you know, a ratio that looks pretty much like what you see in lots of other spots, right? You know, from Open Coffee, you have a hundred people who who say they're interested, but you really only get money from two or three of them, yeah. right? So, yeah. And that's similar to to our space here, right? People come by and they kick the tires, and but the you know now we would be talking about marketing funnel stuff, which is. Yeah. for a different podcast. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Thank you for sharing, uh, David. I know we, we ran out of time, but one last question. How does someone reach out to you if they have to? Oh, Is LinkedIn open, the right way? OpenTHC. OpenTHC? There you go. Search engine and it'll find us. And 
you know, uh, our phone number is prominently displayed on the site. I mean, the software is open source, but there is a for-profit company building that. Yeah. That's how we, you know, keep the future moving forward. Okay. Thank you, David, so much for. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, thank you so much for sharing publicly. I mean, this is this is pretty rare. You know, um, we are privileged. And, uh, and to to all the listeners who, if you have enjoyed our today's discussion, please do consider leaving a review comment on the podcast platform of your choice. By the way, David, this will uh, this will uh, air on YouTube, Spotify, and a whole bunch of other podcast catches as well. Uh, everyone, stay tuned for more insights. We'll have more guests and demos. Until next time, keep thriving. Awesome. Thank you.